0: Here at Emmaus, we are continuing in a sermon series that we started a few weeks ago called Building Foundations Not Fences. And we're looking at some of these big topics that we find in the world and trying to ask the question how does God's Word speak to those particular topics? Generally speaking at Emmaus, we're working through a book of the Bible, working through a section of Scripture just week after week, and, and we're doing that through the Gospel of Mark. But for a couple of weeks, we've we backed away, and we've taken some of these topics and asked, what does Scripture say about that? So we're kind of getting a Bible overview, a Bible theology about these things, and then we're honing in on one particular passage about that topic. And so this morning, it's going to be 1 Timothy chapter 2 that, that we're going to look at here in a few minutes. Now I realize, when it comes to these topics, we're starting to edge toward the ones that are a little more emotional, can be, can be a little more divisive. When it comes to questions of ethnicity or generosity, I, I've rarely met churches that were any better than Emmaus at, at dealing with those. So generous, so willing to, to reach out, to, to value the diversity that God has given us in our world. Now when we start moving into politics, when we start moving into questions about marriage and gender, that's when you can start to feel your blood pressure go up, the body temperature goes up a little bit. How, how do we approach these things? And I just wanna remind you, hear my heart on this. The goal in this series is not to be controversial, it's to be missional. That the goal of looking at these things together is that we build a biblical foundation for how we respond to these, how we approach these topics, and we start to say, how can we have conversations with those who are not followers of Jesus? How can we begin to speak to people about the gospel on these topics that everyone around us is dealing with? And this morning, as we deal with this topic on politics, I want you to know that because we're trying to establish a biblical foundation for this topic, this sermon, minus a couple of little illustrations or points along the way, this sermon should work in any nation on earth because we're not, this morning, coming to analyze American politics. There's probably a place for that. That's not what we're doing this morning. What we're doing this morning is asking, how does God's word form a foundation for the way we approach these particular questions? And you might say, well, why are we doing two weeks on politics? Here's what we're trying to do with these two weeks. I want you to think about this topic from the approach of Trinity, God as Trinity, Trinitarian theology. And we're going to this week, today, talk about God in government, Jesus in politics. This is about what God has established, what God has done in the world and in our lives. And then next week, we're gonna talk about spirit and law, church and state. So you might take the two weeks as God acts, we respond. This is the foundation that God has established in our world and in his word, and then next week is by God's spirit and as part of the church, how do we respond to these particular questions? And before we read scripture this morning and we get started, I wanna say as well, you could be here today and you're coming in with situations in your personal life that are extremely hard, and there's a part of you that says, Owen. I don't need a sermon about politics. I've got so many things that I'm walking in this room concerned about, and, and politics matters, but it's pretty low on the list. And I want you to know that the truths that we're gonna look at this morning, if you're in a place of chaos or difficulty or uncertainty in your life, these speak directly to that. I realize you may be in a situation where politics is not your main concern right now, but the truth of God's word and the power of Jesus Christ to work in your life is true no matter what situation you come in here with. And so I just want to set you free to say, we're going to talk about some things regarding politics, but what we're really talking about is God's work in your life and his sovereignty over all things in the world and how we can trust in him and find hope through Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what Paul says there. He says, first of all, 1 Timothy 2.1, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. May God bless the reading of his word. So one of the lessons that you may have learned in life is you have to be careful when you take a nap. Uh, So you have to be careful when you nap. Now there are realities as you start to get older that I'm finding out uh, about napping. I've reached the old man stage of where I take a nap just a few minutes before I go to bed. Uh, so I, I fall asleep reading on the, uh, on the couch and my family's like, hey, you gotta wake up and go to bed. Uh, so Amanda showed me a meme or something she had seen on social media recently where she said, previously in life, I put my kids to bed, now they put me to bed. Um, so I've reached that point in, in life of taking naps. Amanda always laughs about, she will end up getting really sleepy and ready for a nap about 3.30 or four in the afternoon, and you reach that terrible moment of like, do I take a nap and then it runs up, runs the rest of my life, or the day, or do I take a nap and it's just worth it uh, at, at this point. So I, I talk about naps to say this. January 6th, 2021, uh, I was at home with a pretty, pretty serious, pretty bad case of COVID uh, at the time. And so I was taking a lot of naps at that point, but that day, I was doing some different things around the house, trying to get my body moving again, I moved around for about five minutes, and I was exhausted, and so I went back, laid down, took a nap, woke up, and the world had changed. <laughs> All the events that happened on January 6th began to unravel while I was taking that nap, and, and I thought about that nap, because there I was at home, worried about my family, our church family, at that particular week, that particular time, was going through some really difficult things. And here, the government looks like it's about to fall apart. And so, I took a nap and the whole world fell apart during that time, but did it really fall apart? No, we we realized it, it didn't. When you think about these political tensions that come up in our lives, personally, when I think about politics, just from an interest standpoint, Politics is pretty low on the list for me personally. I know some of you eat it up, you love it, you watch everything you can, you read everything you can. For me, sports and meteorology and reading and travel and about 50 other topics are are above politics, but then it really does matter. It really does matter how we handle these things. And one of the things that has helped me is to rethink my definition of politics. Because if I'm not careful, when I hear politics, I think of this very polarized, partisan world that we live in. And I just don't have a lot of stomach for that. Like, I just don't have a lot of interest for that. I don't get really riled up over those questions. But then I ran into a definition this last week on politics. And Caitlin Schess has a definition of politics in which she says it's doing the work that is required to form and maintain a common life together. Now, that I can get on board with. (laughs) That is a question that pertains to us as a church. Politics is how do we live together in a way that allows people to flourish, that brings common good to people around us. You may be really turned off by this polarized partisan world in which we live, but it matters how do we learn to live together in a good way in this world. This morning, it begins with Genesis chapter one, verse one. No surprise there, right? When we're building a biblical foundation for politics, Genesis 1-1 is a good place to begin. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God rules over everything and everyone on earth. And I know you could say, Owen, you probably could have skipped that, we all know that. Can you allow that verse to bring such incredible peace to the next two weeks of your life? Let Genesis 1-1 bring peace and hope to your life and your TV watching over the next two weeks that our God created and rules and is sovereign over all things and all people and all places. That is good, good news and we rest in that. We find hope in that from the beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible, we know who is in charge and he is good and wise and powerful. And then in Genesis chapter one, Verse 28, as God begins to create humanity in his image, he gives us the stewardship of reigning and ruling in this world to be fruitful and multiply, that we'll talk about when we get to marriage, and then to do that, to live in this world in such a way that we subdue and have dominion, and we hear subdue and have dominion, and we think of that as being in control from the top down, But don't miss that those words in your Bible subdue and have dominion over the earth, those are words for serving. Those are words that were used of shepherds. Those were words that were used of priests that we are bringing order to a chaotic world and that we are serving those that God has placed around us. God is sovereign and we have a stewardship to bring order to this world and extend God's good gifts to other people in this world. And it's a beautiful picture until you get to Genesis chapter three. And then you get to Genesis chapter three and we know what happens. When sin enters the world, chaos is unleashed. The way people turn against one another. The way these cities and empires begin to be built up. And you think about empires in the world, these groups of people that come together and they use their power to build up wealth. And there's incredible personal pride Involved in empire building and empires almost always oppress those who are most vulnerable, and empires are defined by rampant, unholy sexuality. And if you start to say, Well, that's kind of a scary description of government as empire, it it is a terrifying (laughs) description of government. That when these empires are built up in Genesis chapter 3 through 11, and you see it continuing through scripture, we don't want these things to characterize our lives, or our church, or our nation. And so what does God do? In Genesis chapter 12, he calls out one man, Abram, and he says, I'm gonna build a nation. I'm gonna make a nation through you, and through that nation, all the peoples, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So what happens with Israel? Well, again, (laughs) you have a really good plan that doesn't go particularly well. Because in Israel, they decide they want a king like all the other nations. And these kings, you know what happens with these kings? They turn out to be human. And they turn out to have a lot of struggles. And and so often, instead of leading the people toward God, they lead the people away from God. And then the nation itself that God has established to bring blessings to the world, what happens to that nation? That nation is divided. When people don't submit themselves to the Lord, what happens? You have division. You have power struggles that are breaking out. And so other nations, not the people that God's established, but other nations come in and begin to rule over and corrupt Israel. And so you have the Egyptians and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans and all these other nations come in and begin to rule God's people and corrupt God's people. And so what do God's people need? They need a rescuer, they need a savior, they need a messiah. And you know how they want that messiah to show up? They want that messiah to show up with military and political power to drive out these other nations who have been oppressing them. And here comes Jesus of Nazareth onto the scene, the one who will be God's messiah for the people. And Jesus, in many ways, is political, just not political in the way the people wanted. He shows up and his victory comes through death. His victory comes through the cross. He shows up and says he is Lord, not Caesar. He is King, not Herod. And he has come not to drive out these other nations, he has come to defeat sin and darkness and his reign in our lives is not just politically at the government level his reign is in our heart that he changes our lives from the inside out john chapter 18 there's a beautiful verse when john chapter 18 when jesus is there before pilate and he says my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world my servants would have been fighting Hear this, as the people of God gather together this morning, the source and the goals and the way Jesus' kingdom works is different than the ways of the world. And that's going to, in your lives, living in this world, that's going to cause tension. Because we live in a world where people try to gain political power and influence in all of these worldly ways, And Jesus shows up and he says, my kingdom didn't come because I was voted in. My kingdom came from heaven. And my goal is not political power over the governments of this world. My goal is to build a church, to bring the kingdom of God on earth, to establish a people who will be the people of God from every tribe and ton and nation. And he's going to do that not through fighting, but through giving his life, through serving, through speaking the truth in love, through the cross. And it's so different than the ways of the world. And this is where the tension of being a Christian in this world comes from, is we follow a savior whose kingdom is not of this world, but we still live in this world. How do we operate in this world? And so we have the early church as this beautiful model how do you live in this world but not be of this world? How do you follow a Savior whose kingdom has already come but not yet have we seen everything that's going to mean? The early church becomes made up of people from all nations, all ethnicities, all backgrounds. Before the coming of Jesus, you had one nation that was the focus, and that nation had many different kings. After the coming of Jesus, you have one king who will have people from many nations. Before Jesus, you had one nation with many kings. After Jesus, you have one king who will have people from many nations. And he's drawing people in, helping them realize living in this world, this world is not ultimately your home. This world does not define how you live. It doesn't define your goals. It doesn't define your purposes for life. And yet the people still have to figure out how to live in the world. And so you get these amazing New Testament letters that give us indications for how we respond. Romans chapter 13. If you're ever having a political discussion with someone and they say, hey, where do you turn the Bible to talk about politics? How do you understand our relation to politics? I wanna lay out a couple of verses that I think could be, could be really helpful for you. Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven is a really great place to take people. Romans chapter 13. Verse 1, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, who's ruling Rome at this time? Nero. (laughs) Uh, Nero, good or bad ruler? Well, I think we're going to edge on bad from most of what we know. Started off okay. Seems like in the early years, around 54, when he got started, wasn't terrible. By the time he's finished, it's totally spiraled out of control. What does Paul say here? He says be subject to the ruling authorities because they've been instituted by God. God is sovereign over who is in control. Our response, the people at this church here in Rome, they were being taxed in some ways that were really unfair, some of the people had been driven out of town because of their faith, and there were believers. The church was beginning to rise up, and Paul says, wait, 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 remember who you are. Remember what you've called to do in this world. You're called to be subject to the governing authorities because they've been put in place by God. But like good Americans, you're probably arguing with me, or you should be arguing with me right now. You should be saying, but like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Time out, Owen. Take a deep breath. Wait, wait, wait. Should we always be subject to the governing authorities? That's a great question to ask because this very passage, this is the passage that was used by the German theologians and German pastors to say, we've got to follow Hitler because of the things he's putting into place. Here's what Romans 13 says. And we could say, there are other times in Scripture where the apostles say we must obey God rather than men. That if there is a human government, a human leader, who is calling you to sin, who is calling you to worship something or someone other than the one true God, that as God's people we're able to say no. No, absolutely not. Our allegiance is to God, who has made himself known through Jesus Christ and given us his word. So there is a good and a right time. Now it takes wisdom. Get to understand the situation you're in. The default of our lives, living under human government, is to be subject, to do what we're told to do, even if we don't like it. But with spiritual wisdom and spiritual discernment to say if we are being led into sin, being led away from worship of God, there is a good and right way that we say, No, our allegiance is to God. What's government put in place for? First Peter. Chapter 2, we're going we're to really focus on 1 Peter next week as we think about our response, the Holy Spirit's work. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Again, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. What's the purpose of government that God has established in the world? It's to oppose what's evil and to uphold and promote what is good. That's it. <laughs> that is the framework for government. Government shouldn't do more or less than those two things, to oppose, to stand against that which is evil, and to promote and uphold that which is good. Now, the problem obviously comes When you have a human government, that begins to confuse what is good and evil. You can see where that difficulty would come into. Or where a human government fails to uphold the good or actually stands against what is good. That's where the tension comes. But when we think what government is for, why has God put in place government? That God has given us government, the family and the church to have different roles in this world. Why do we have government to oppose what is evil and to uphold that which is good. So when you're making decisions about voting, when you're making decisions about policy concerns, when you're making decisions about how do I live in this world, do they oppose what is evil and do they uphold what is good? Are they living with character and integrity, seeking to do these things that God has put in front of us? And then the next set of verses that we just looked at, hopefully your Bible might still be open to those in 1st Timothy, they provide such a great picture of what this can look like in our lives. First Timothy, chapter two, verse one. What's Paul's guidance to them in this scripture? He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, that we're a people who pray, for kings and all who are in high positions. For what purpose? What are we praying for that our policy initiative will get passed? Like, What, what, what are we paying, praying for here? We are praying that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Hear me out on this next part. That idea that we are praying for our governing officials for the purpose that we can lead peaceful, quiet dignified lives tells us that our interaction with politics, our interaction with government, and and the purpose of government in many ways should be very simple and very boring. (laughs) We live in a world, however, we live in a world, however, where politics and government has become another form of entertainment. And we want something quick, and we want something that doesn't bore us, and the danger when you want something quick and something that doesn't bore you, you're probably not gonna get the results of these verses right here. Uh, it's a book you could really reread every year, but uh, Neil Postman's book from the 1980s, Amusing Ourselves to Death. Postman saw this coming in the world that we live in today. Postman has uh, a comment there in, in his book. Let me see if I can find it. It may have run away from me on my, on my notes here. Oh, here's the quote from, from Postman. He's talking about the distinction between George Orwell's 1984 and Aldous Huxley's book, A Brave New World. He says, what Orwell feared were those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that there would be no reason to ban a book for there would be no one who wanted to read one. What do you do when you live in a world where people demand to be entertained all the time? you end up with politics that's designed to entertain people all the time. What are we called to pray for? We are called to pray that we would live peaceful, quiet lives, godly, and dignified in every way. Then look at verses three and four. This is so good. This gets us to what, what, are, we, what are we trying to get to here? Verses three and four. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is God's ultimate hope for people? That they would know the truth of who he is and that they would be saved. That's what we're aiming for. We're not aiming to destroy our political opponents. We are aiming to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, to live in a world where the gospel of Jesus goes forth as the people of God proclaim that good news to people around them and live that out through their lives. So how do we understand our response to God's word in these ways? Let's talk about God in government. What's what's our response to God in government? I hope, I hope in a good way, (laughs) these application points here almost underwhelm you. I hope, these, I hope these application points almost feel too simple because they're meant to. And, and remember, next week we're gonna talk more about our response, but if you're trying to think about how do I understand my response to God's word, how he has instituted government in this world, friends, just begin by worshiping the Lord with everything that you have, that you would trust him completely. Because, because, if we're not careful, politics can become an idol in our world. There's been some really interesting observations made that as our country, as our world becomes less religious in in a lot of ways, and, and people draw away from church, in a really strange way, politics has stepped in to take that place. And it becomes its own form of worship. It becomes its own style of religion as people begin to give ultimate allegiance and place their hope in something like governments of this world. Which, and again, hear hear my heart on this. Be so careful, so careful about the mixing of a political rally or a political initiative and worship. Be so careful about the mixing of a political rally or a political initiative and this idea of worship because so much, so much of what is beginning to pass for political rallies or political initiatives is trying to co-opt and draw in this type of worship that was given to us for the gathering of the people of God and the church. And the name of Jesus will not be used or abused for our political purposes. He will not allow it, absolutely will not allow it. What do we need to do? We need to make sure that God's word is driving our interaction with politics, not politics driving our interaction with God's word. So think about it like this. Think about a river. Uh, Put your mind where we would love to go up in Colorado, middle of nowhere. You're trying to find the source of this beautiful stream up there. So you're looking for the source of the stream. You're looking for this really clear water that's coming out of the mountains. Like I, I could sign up for that right now. That sounds really good. Uh, you go there. Somewhere along the way as that water flows down, it begins to become polluted and it begins to become corrupted. What we have to do in our lives is to make sure at the source of our life, providing the outflow in our lives is the word of God. And any type of political theory, any type of other things has to come in downstream of that. Because if we're not careful, we let politics become the source And then somewhere along the way, the word of God then comes in. Well, that water is already polluted. You're trying to bring the word of God into something that has already been flowing downstream. Our goal is that God's word guides those things, and then politics begins to come into the discussion, which means we've got to be so careful what we listen to. The people of God should be the most discerning people on the planet when it comes to receiving media input that we have the word of God that shapes our hearts and minds and the way we receive these things. Make it your goal in life, (laughs) make it your goal in life to trick the social media algorithm. Do not let some algorithm, some computer algorithm, determine everything that you hear and everything that you listen to that you say, I'm not going to be dominated by that. I'm going to make sure that as I receive this news, as I receive these inputs, that what is guiding that is the word of God then I'm able to make sense of those things. Then I'm able to filter out those things that are coming in to my life. God in government, that we would worship him above all things, we would trust his word, and that we would pray that his will would be done on earth as in heaven. And then we think about Jesus and politics. And friends, I want you to remember that Jesus Christ is the only one, the only one, who is able to meet the deepest needs of people in our world. Every person on the planet has two problems that they can never handle on their own, own. sin and death. Politics can do a lot of good things, but it will never change the reality of sin and death. Jesus, however, has dealt with both of those. And so when we look to him, we find ultimate hope. And on this point, can I just encourage you, please, if at all possible, don't use Savior or Messianic language to describe a political figure. Do not use Messianic or Savior language to describe any political figure because there is one Savior. There is one mediator between God and man, and it is Jesus Christ. He alone is is able to save. He alone is worthy of our lives. He alone is building the church. We don't need any political party to build the church. The church is not in danger. The gospel is not in danger. The gates of hell are not able to withstand the power of the church of Jesus Christ. And so our allegiance is given to him and to him alone. He is worthy of our lives. And so we will proclaim and display him we will not be defined or dominated by the right or the left because our eyes are on jesus we are living for the glory of god alone and over the coming weeks and coming months we can display to the world wisdom and peace and hope and love that goes so far beyond anything this world could ever provide. In a world of chaos and darkness, we have a different way. In a world of fear and anxiety and anger, we have a different way to show in a world of such low character and godlessness and idolatry we have a different way to show in a world of sin and death and brokenness we have something different to show but it's only possible when our lives are devoted to the gospel of jesus christ when they're built on the foundation of god's word when that's where our hope is found and that's how we're going to operate that's where we're going to find that hope and if you're here this morning and you feel like your life is chaos, and you feel like things have been falling apart, and and you just need something to hold you fast, to hold all things together, can I call you to look to Jesus, that he is where we find hope. He is where we find life. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its surging, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. Nations fall, kingdoms crumble. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariot with fire, and he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come before you knowing that we live in a world with so much chaos and brokenness, just some overwhelming realities in our world. The pain that people deal with, the impacts of sin in our world. And then we come closer to home and we feel that chaos sometimes in our own lives, in our own homes. And we have gathered here this morning, God, to say our hope is in you. You are able to hold us fast. You are sovereign over all things and we trust you. And we believe true life is found in Jesus Christ alone. If you are here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, can I call you during this last song to come, just ask someone to pray with you, to come after the service, to say, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I I don't know where my hope is found. Can I call you to trust in Jesus today, that He is the one who holds all things together. Father, thank you for the hope that you give us. Thank you for the foundation of your word. Thank you for the power of the gospel. And Father, we stand right now to remember and sing that together. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.